Hello, everybody. Bob Oxley here. It's time for tips, topics, issues, and positions. And uh, today our topic is going to be on the new U.S. Let me see if I get this straight now. USMCA, United States, Mexico, Canada Agreement, which is, uh, has reached tentative agreement. And here we are again. I'm very fortunate to uh, have uh, coaxed Professor Joe Green to return to our studio to discuss this new agreement that is replacing NAFTA. And uh, welcome, Professor Green. Thank you, Bob. Great to be back. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. And boy, this is uh, interesting in that um, just last Sunday, Canada uh, came to an agreement with the U.S. on this portion of this new USMCA. Uh, Mexico had agreed to it previous to that. But uh, and I really am, would love to have you as we progress through the show. Just talk about how this particular agreement differs from NAFTA and who's going to benefit and who's not. And so we're kind of like going to open it up on and just talk that way. How's that sound to you? Sounds good to me, Bob. All right, let's do that then. So we always start off with the basics. And so uh, the new acronym, the USMCA, uh, is it uh, is it just another trade agreement? Is it uh, does it duplicate NAFTA? Can you just give us some preliminary, and then we'll get into a little bit more details who it, who it affects and who it doesn't affect, and things of that sort. Uh, it's it doesn't duplicate NAFTA exactly, although there are uh, some parts of it that uh, that didn't change from the uh, uh, agreement that was negotiated back in the nineties. Um, the Main focus seems to have been on automobiles. Hmm. Um, the old NAFTA agreement had uh, restricted, had a rule that said 65%, I think it was 65% of a car had that uh, uh, was sold in North America had to be uh, assembled or designed or uh, all of the stuff that goes into a car okay. in in the region of the North American uh, of the NAFTA agreement, that's been raised now to seventy-five percent. Okay. Wow. Okay. Uh, there were there was some sort of a limit on wages that could be paid uh, to car. The, the car companies had to pay their workers, uh, and that's been raised. I don't know what it. I can't remember what it was before. It's now sixteen dollars. Sixteen U.S. dollars. Forty-five percent. Right? of the labor working on a car in Mexico, the United States, and Canada has to be paid $16 or more. Equivalent to their own currencies, right? Is that, is that Well, there's some stuff in there about manipulating currencies. Maybe we can talk about that. That gets really complicated okay. with my students. I usually need a blackboard, but I can try if you want okay. to, to well, deal with it. We may address that. That's interesting. So are you saying that the majority of this new U, I have to say it, U.S getting used to it. USMCA is focused primarily on the automotive industry? Um, there's there's evidently some um, uh, stuff about dairy. The, the, okay. the Canadians have had really high tariffs uh, on us sending our dairy stuff north, and it, that was reduced. But the reports I'm seeing, I have not read the agreement. The reports I'm seeing say that the reduction was... Uh, minimal, more uh, almost uh, 
symbolic, okay? But there will be some more access for American goods into Canada based based on the agreement. The other big sticking point was how you solve disagreements. Uh, And NAFTA had a very strict and very complicated set of rules by which if somebody thought that that another nation was violating the NAFTA agreement, uh, they'd go through a set of negotiations and there was this rule and that rule. Uh, Those have been simplified. Uh, the Trump administration wanted to get rid of them because uh, the, pre- the president's position was we needed to be totally in charge of our economy and do whatever we wanted. Uh, and the Canadians wouldn't go along with that. That was why Canada was late getting to this, because okay. they've got uh, a number of things that they want to protect. That uh, uh, And so, but there is still some way to negotiate or some kind of a body or set of bodies that that will uh, adjudicate disagreements, but uh, it's not as it's not as hard to do it as as it once was. Okay, so there are some good points to this new agreement. My understanding is Canada, <laughs> well, Parliament, good. Canada, good. Uh, Justin Trudeau met with his Parliament. Uh, last Sunday, which was September 30th, and they came to an agreement. They said they liked it. They said, let's move forward on it. And and the U.S. and Mexico had already achieved a tentative agreement uh, that left Canada out because of the uh, um, tariff situation that was being uh, imposed uh, between the U.S. and Canada. So there were some, some trouble areas that had to be resolved. And I guess I'm making the assumption that uh, Mexico had already reached an agreement, and now, as of last Sunday evening, Canada uh, has said, uh, "Look, we can go more, uh, move forward on this with this new USMCA." And correct me if I'm wrong. I heard that we're going, they're going to consummate this officially in November. Is that? Is I think, it? yeah, they all they all get together and sign it at a. I think they're going to have a, a meeting of. Um, it might be the G7. Hmm. But Mexico doesn't normally come to the G7, so I may be wrong. But one of those international meetings, and then they, as a side thing, they would sign it at, at that. Uh, then it has to be submitted to the uh, parliaments in Mexico and Canada, and it has to be submitted to the U.S. Congress. Got it. Okay, so that's subsequent to November, right? That comes, that comes after the, the, the leaders of the country sign it. Sign know? it with a tentative agreement. Yeah. With, with the understanding that it has to be confirmed by their respective right, uh, and, and we have we have a rule in the United States that about trade agreements that the Congress passed back in the eighties that uh, the Congress doesn't get to modify and mm. it can't can amend it. Uh, they have to vote up or down. So that'll, that'll be, be interesting. Yeah, that'll be interesting. Um, Somebody told me, uh, and I read this uh, just brief because everybody's grabbing information about this. They said that the uh, this new agreement, it uh, has some of the um, parts from NAFTA, but they said the other one to take a look at, and I, I just throw this at you. They said the start of the verbiage from the Trans-Pacific Partnership that's in existence. Yeah, I saw of which China is not part of that. Right, but it would be well. Technically, nobody's part of it because it hasn't been negotiated. Uh, well, the people who were in 
TPP, besides the United States, that the president pulled us out of it when he, right after he was elected, uh, have negotiate, finished negotiating it so it, there is a TPP. My understanding is the intellectual property part of TPP was included in this agreement almost word for word, and Mexico and Canada generally don't steal our intellectual property. Uh, but uh, the idea is, as other negotiations go forward, this will be a model. And so uh, this language would then become the language that we could insist that uh, goes in for uh, other countries that we have a little more problem with, especially if we ever get to a position where we negotiate with China, although uh, the president and the vice president's actions in the last few days make that seem less likely, but who knows? Maybe we'll be having, exchanging letters and be in love in, uh, in, in the next couple of weeks. <laughs> Taking the North Korea model, right? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Good point. Um, here's what I've got. I'm just going to bounce these off. I've got, as far as the, uh, vehicle, the, uh, auto workers themselves. And I have, this is just some notes that I've picked up, uh, that <clears throat> starting in 2020, uh, 30% of the vehicle production, and you mentioned this earlier, uh, had to be 30% of the content. And that uh, three times the average for the Mexican worker rises to 40% in 2023. And we're talking about wages. My question to you is, is how can we put together an agreement that dictates wages for certain uh segments like the automotive industry. Is that normal for agreements? Well, uh, the United States since 1938 has had a national minimum wage in which we dictated a wage that uh, every employer has to pay. So governments can do that. Um, you have to remember uh, when you're talking to me, I'm a free trader, a free market guy. And I think all of this is, uh, is central planning. It's uh, a government official, uh, in this case, uh, Jared Kirshner and Robert Lighthizer, the main American negotiators, uh, asserting that they know what the correct wage is that a business should be paying its, and, uh, its employees. Now, from my perspective, that's a decision that ought to be negotiated between a, an employer and an employee based on the employee's skills and experience and on the needs of the employer, okay? Uh, some of your listeners may not agree with me on that, but I view any attempt to interfere with normal market processes absent some sort of uh, what economists call an externality, uh, as uh, a form of central planning of the central government uh, choosing winners and losers. Uh, that's what they're doing here. Um, and that invariably makes consumers worse off. And my standard, every time I think about any kind of issue that the government's dealing with is what is going to make the consumers better off. And that's usually what the consumers uh, are able to freely choose for themselves. Uh, among the various competing products and, and so on that they get. So if my choice now is a car made in North America uh, versus a car that was made in Japan or Germany or South Korea, 
and the car made in Germany uh, or South Korea or Japan is equal to the quality of the car I want to buy, but a lower price um, because of the tariffs it will now face, I don't get to make that choice. Therefore, I'm not as well off at the margin as I would have been. Uh, the net result of that is I'm not going to have as much money as I would have had uh, because I've spent more on the car now, and that's gone into a North American car rather than a Japanese car. And therefore, I don't. Uh, my budget doesn't extend as far as it would have had I been able to buy the cheaper car. And I won't be buying uh, various kinds of other products. Uh, and that is the normal way that uh, people are able to afford innovative stuff, you know, new iPhones or whatever it is that comes along that, that makes the economy dynamic and innovative. So I view this as a step back from the free market innovation machine that that uh, we've had in the United States that's made us wealthy and uh, cured our diseases and uh, allowed us to work in air-conditioned offices rather than out in fields and all of the other good things that come from being relatively wealthy. So I'm, uh, I'm always suspicious of trade agreements where there are lots of rules and regulations that have to be complied with in order to get a, a material across the border. Yeah, I, I think what stood out with me, Professor Green, was that they emphasized it on the automotive workers. Like you said at the beginning, you indicated they were really focused in on the automotive industry and the dairy, Yeah. but the automotive industry specifically. And it just seems like there's a content regulation for North America. For, it affects the three countries positively, supposedly, because it's maintaining. You've got to have so much content, so they're going to have the manufacturing in, in country. Yeah. Imagine how how hard it is for a a uh, automaker in competition to arrange uh, to get a car that they can sell to a consumer it's literally got tens of thousands of different kinds of parts some of the some of the parts uh, you, you know are one off only uh, because of the way our engineers designed this uh, we, we got this chip or this bulb or this fuse or this uh, uh, part that uh, is one off. And, and the people who make it the best are in Germany or maybe the people who make it best are in Japan. Uh, now we're telling uh, the, uh, uh, the car companies that you, you, you have to look around and you have to have certain mix so that instead of going out and finding the best part, that even if it's made in Germany, that I have to now get 75% yes. of all the parts have to be made in Mexico or Canada or Japan, which means that I am or the leaving, United States. Yeah, uh, the United States, yeah. which means I'm leaving out uh, the possibility of finding all of these really innovative, smart engineers or suppliers or whoever it is that happen not to live in North America. And the net result is the 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 price of the car is going to rise. Now, General Motors loves this, even though it's going to take them a lot of time and effort and uh, new and uh, you know we're going to have to find a new engineering firm that can make the part that we can't get now because because of this. These supply chains are extremely complicated and complex, but General Motors now will get to sell its car at a higher price, so yes. its profits have gone up, and you can bet 
that both the auto workers union, I know the auto worker, I've, I've heard the, the uh, AFL-CIO chairman, Mr. Trumka, celebrate this, okay? The auto workers and the uh, automobile companies uh, are getting a windfall out of this. Their profits are going up. The uh, auto workers uh, are going to get uh, 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 higher wages and so on. Now, I didn't get higher wages out of this. In fact, it's going to cost me money. Most of the listeners we're talking to didn't get higher wages out of this. And we're talking about people who make uh, uh, sometimes, you know, 50 or 60 bucks an hour. We're not making that in St. George. Okay, we just gave those people a raise. We just made General Motors richer after we bailed them out in 2008. Now we're going to make them richer and uh, artificially. And we're all going to pay for it. So even though the, some of the uh, releases coming from the automotive industry are saying we're just going to appreciate a moderate increase in cost yeah. of vehicles. Right. So what but does that mul- word multiply mean? that all over, overall. Uh, the, the, the only estimate I've seen is at least $1,000 a car. Uh, these are all estimates, and we have no, you know, we'll see what happens when it happens because nobody knows how they're, how they're in some instances, how they're going to build the car now because the supply chain that they had the contracts with, uh, now they're going to have to renegotiate, and they're not going to be able to use some of the contractors because they're outside the boundaries of this North American area. Uh, that they could have used before. Okay. Now, somebody said that uh, this this agreement, this new agreement that's pending, uh, has a 16-year window. Yeah. And then, uh, but there's a, uh, every six years, they're going to reevaluate all aspects of the agreement. So, as a result of that, I'm, I'm thinking automotive. There's a big push for electric cars and driverless cars and, you know, moving forward for the good of the environment and all a number of other justifications. Right. Again, that's all central planning stuff. The cars don't make any money. So, <laughs> yeah, the, my next question to you was, so are we going to see the automotive, the U.S. automotives and like Port of Canada, are we going to see the automotive industry pull back on their R&D for electric cars and driverless cars? And even though the rest I- of the world may be continuing to do the research and design for this because there's no pressure on them to do it? We, well, we, I don't know what Mexico and Canada do. We have certain regulations that the Congress has imposed on the automakers that they, uh, and that through the Department of Transportation, that they have to make a certain number, a certain portion of the fleet that they sell have to be uh, renewable friendly, that is electric or hybrid, uh, whichever, uh, however they do it. Um, it, uh, the American car companies are basically, uh, charging higher prices on their gasoline cars in order to pay for the electric cars because massive America, massive number of Americans don't want them. They don't, they're not, they won't buy them again. This is not consumer friendly in the, in the sense that I described before. Uh, so that doesn't change. Uh, America, the United States, still has that that uh, that uh, 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 renewable requirement on right. our automobiles. All right. Although I under I understood the Trump administration is looking closely at that requirement. So I don't know what will happen with that. 
That's really. But that that I don't understand. I I don't think is part of this. Okay, so that, but that could be an offshoot that could develop six years from now of the sixteen years you'd have to take yeah, a look at it. Yeah, then. if uh, this is hypothetical, if let's say uh, a different uh, makeup of the Congress occurred that uh, looked more like California, so that they wanted to like the California legislature, so that. Uh, requirements were that we pushed this uh, when we looked at net the this agreement again uh, the United States would probably really push to have Mexico and Canada have the same mix we do but again Canada may already have it they uh, I just don't know that's something to take a look at uh, getting back we the other sector that we looked at was on the dairy farmers okay this effect on the dairy farmers and just some preliminary uh, what's concerning to me is the report, the uh, Rural Farmers Report came out last month and indicated that 47 dairy farmers in Wisconsin declared bankruptcy. Is this, is this going to help them? Are they, they going to say, maybe I'm not going to go bankrupt now because now Canada's opened up to us? Or is it just, is it more beneficial to Canada or is it beneficial to the U.S.? Or? <laughs> okay. Now, my answer has to be, I don't know. Okay. All right. So uh, I'm a college professor, so I'll just launch in and, and say I'm, what I think. I'm, that's why you're here. I love it. I absolutely love yeah. it. Yeah. Even though I have no clue whether I'm right or not uh, uh, about it. Um, there are always uh, businesses going bankrupt and because they're not well run. Uh, there are businesses that uh, thrive. Uh, because uh, new markets are created, all of that kind of thing. So, uh, you know, uh, uh, some dairy farmers going out of business at any one time where in another part of the state, new ones coming in, you know, we, we would want to know what the net is on all that, which I don't know. Uh, Canada has had really high tariffs. I understand over 200% wow. on... Uh, Americans selling, American farmers selling their dairy products into Canada. Uh, and part of the uh, purpose for this, uh, this agreement was to get Canada to reduce that. Uh, my understanding is that they didn't reduce it very much, that it's really, mo really moderate, okay. the, the change that's been made. Uh, but it might help one or two of those farmers that were in trouble. Uh, my guess is, based on the national news that's been going is that a better explanation for that with, with the general increase in tariffs that the administration has imposed on other nations and the reciprocal tariffs that they've been reimposing on us. For example, in this new agreement, the tariffs we put on Canadian steel and aluminum have not been reduced or taken oh, off. I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, that it, Lighthizer says that has to be done in a different negotiation. So the Canadians, of course, wanted those taken off. Um, but uh, I think the Chinese aren't buying as much of our soybeans and so on. I, have, I don't know if there was some dairy stuff in there. I would okay. assume there was because Wisconsin voted for President Trump and the Chinese targeted with their response to our tariffs those states that uh, could change the uh, balance in the 2020 election. So they're trying to influence the 2020 election. One of the reasons maybe that the vice president was so uh, adamant against China 
that he didn't mention, but uh, could be a reason. So my own sense is I would look I would look to those initial tariffs that we started last summer rather than uh, this agreement. Yeah. I'm just looking at a couple uh, notes that I've got here on the, the tariffs. Um, it said, uh, this is one of the statements that came out with this agreement. It said, no U.S. tariffs unless Canada and Mexico exports exceeds 2.6 million per year. And what it's saying is if Canada exports to the U.S. 32.4 billion parts, or if Mexico exports in excess of 108 billion parts, this is automotive, uh, then the tariffs will be put back into place. Yeah. So do you, do you, is that this agreement so flexible that we could actually go uh, sector by sector and impose, say, you, you got to be good little neighbors under this agreement, and if you exceed this, these tariffs are going to go into effect. Is that yeah. what this agreement's all about? Yeah. The, wow. What Lighthizer is after is create, he claims is creating American jobs. Okay. I think there's absolutely no evidence that that's going to happen. Uh, and, uh, but, uh, the argument would be if Canada is limited in the number of, you know, bodies and parts and tubes and, and, uh, uh, tires and all of the stuff that they can sell into the United States and Mexico is limited, we're going to have to get it from somewhere and so that will stimulate U.S. industry to uh, right, and we'll bring factory jobs back to the United States. That's the idea. That's yeah. what they're saying. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm almost sure that when the economists get after this, they'll find that uh, the unforeseen costs of doing this will far outweigh any new jobs that are created. Again, I'm going to have to wait and see. I remember your, when you were here, uh, fortunately here, uh, your last time you talked about tariffs, explained what tariffs were and uh, that tax. And you said uh, you g gave an explanation as to those that are utilizing some of, our, some of the resources. But then you had on the other side, the companies that couldn't get the resources here had to actually pay the higher price, which possibly could have put them bankrupt or yeah. not being competitive. I think there's a potential of something like that happening even with this new agreement that hasn't officially been signed yet, but this USMCA, uh, compared to the NAFTA, which one in your estimation was better? Should we have left NAFTA in place? Or this, Yeah, this has uh, most of the good economic studies of NAFTA said that it was a net job creator. But now, flushing all of that out and this the statistical calculations and so on, or something as complex as this, are really, really difficult. And so, uh, you know, there are hundreds and hundreds of journal articles in economics about the back and forth about all of that. But this involves more planning, more the uh, Robert Lighthizer deciding who's the winner and the loser. And uh, in my view, that is always a negative in terms of U.S. economic growth. Okay, well... I've just got the high sign. We're going to have to terminate this conversation, but uh, boy, this is interesting. It's not, not consummated yet. It has to go before each of the uh, legislative bodies of Canada, uh, Mexico, and the United States for approval. Uh, very interesting, but I really appreciate you coming in and uh, at least giving us uh, the preliminary because it's only been a few days old. 
we're taking a look at it, and then like you and I both were looking at uh, information coming in. <laughs> it's pretty pretty new, so we're just getting leaks of information. But I thought it was important that our listeners be aware of this as to what's moving on. And I'm sure there's a lot of meetings going on in the automotive industry right now, as well as in the dairy and other areas that they've identified under this particular agreement. So, Professor Green, once again, thank you so much for being here. Uh, it's been very informative, as usual. And uh, I can't wait to uh, get more details after this is consummated, the final form, to see what we've got and take a look at it again, if you wouldn't mind coming back and giving us uh, your estimation once it's in its final oh, form. I'll, I guess I'll be coming back every week, Bob. Well, it seems that way. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I, I really appreciate it, and I know our listeners do, because uh, I shouldn't say this, but that uh, show, uh, the tip show on Terrace get, had the highest uh, viewer response of any of the shows we've ever had. So it's an honor to have you again. Thank you. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes another episode of Tips, Topics, Issues, and Positions. Uh, this is Bob Oxley wishing you a very nice day. Uh, you can look at us on Facebook, on Twitter, on our podcast affiliate, Podbean, uh, as well as YouTube. And uh, also, as we're Broadcasting at 3 p.m. on Friday on KDXI 100.3 FM and rebroadcasting on Saturdays at 4.30 p.m. on KDXI Radio 100.3 FM. Until then, we'll see you next week. Bye now.